So the bushfire season is just around the corner. So we're joined by the CFS, Joel Taggart. Now he's the acting director of pre, well, pre-prep basically prepares everything ahead of the fire season there at the CFS. And also Phil McDonough, he's the strategy and compliance officer there at the CFS. So the bushfire season is fast approaching. What can we expect and how can we pre- best prepare ourselves? Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Good morning, or good afternoon. Good afternoon. It is nearly 1.35. And please, if you're listening out there, uh, this fire season is creeping up. If you've got any questions at all for the guys, you can join the program, 8223 for any questions. Phil, I'd like to ask you, what is this season looking like? Well, uh, when you actually look at every season, every season is slightly different because uh, what influences the season, and for us it's the bushfire season, mm. is the weather that leads to it. So the complicating factor that we've had this year is that we've had all that rain uh, in the lead up to summer, and what that um, looks like for us is that we have a predominant uh, grass or weed growth during that period, and then as we head into summer, that that dies off. So what we would have predicted our fuel loads to be in the middle of winter, which is the normal fuel loads, we've seen regrowth of grasses and stuff. So what we're going to see probably in the early new year is a lot more grassy fuels that are dead and ready to burn. Mm -hmm. So chances are we're going to be a little more active in uh, the new year uh, to things like grass fires and and faster moving fires because of that extra growth uh, and the extra fuel that is around. The bushfires that hit us earlier this year, there's so many people that haven't even recovered from that yet. So uh, are they those areas at risk again? Every area across the state is at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is uh, an inherent risk of fire throughout the entire state. Uh, and we, we can talk about the outback or right down to um, the lower southeast. Um South Australia is so diverse in its uh, fuel arrangement as well. So the fuels that we see in the outback are not the fuels that we see in the Adelaide Hills. So uh, completely, totally different Mm. and uh, the fires behave differently. And so do the fire starts. So a predominant number of fire starts in the outback will be through lightning and and that type of event. But the fire starts through built-up areas um, have a different profile as well. So if we could predict where the fires were, we'd be able to put specific risk mitigation strategies in place for those locations. Mm. But unfortunately, we can't tell what's going to start a fire and where it's going to start. So the whole state, basically, uh, has the potential for a bushfire, and it depends on how fast that bushfire can get um, in, in its building phase and the weather that is uh, being experienced at the same time to how intense that fire is actually going to be. Joel, your role is Acting Director of Preparedness at the CFS. Can you explain to us a little bit about what you're doing today in readiness for the bushfire season? Indeed, yes. So we're running a few different campaigns. The uh, biggest one is the Be Bushfire Ready campaign, which people will have seen advertised on the radio, on TV, on the internet, and particularly on Facebook as well this year. Mm. So we're trying to educate people about the fire danger risk that Phil talked about, but also doing some more targeted campaigning so people understand what a bushfire safe place is and also making sure they know what a last resort refuge is and um, amending their bushfire survival plans to consider both those types of places 
and about when they'll use these places. Well, I guess what is the difference between a bushfire safer place and a last resort refuge? What What's the difference between the two? Yeah, so essentially a safer place or bushfire safer place is somewhere that's a bigger urban area, mm-hmm. such as maybe the Adelaide metropolitan area or a large rural town like Mount Barker or Port Pirie, mm-hmm. or even some of the medium-sized rural towns such as Balhanna and Woodside. In the hills, that's where there's enough urban development that will ensure, or at least hopefully ensure, that a fire won't encroach on the area. So there are the, they're the places that you go to on a day of heightened fire danger. You follow your bushfire survival plan, go and stay in one of those areas until the bushfire risk has diminished. Mm-hmm. In terms of the last resort refuges, they're places, like the name says, that you only go at the point of last resort. So if your plan A, your plan B, plan C, plan D have all failed, Mm-hmm. You go to a place of last resort, which are generally ovals in smaller country towns around the state. So they're cleared areas which don't have much vegetation around them. So you've got the best chances possible in the case of a last resort of um, shielding yourself from the actual fire flame. Obviously, those places won't be nice in terms of heat and smoke and embers. Hence why they're only in place of last resort that yeah. so you go if all other plans have failed. So when you talk about a bushfire safer place, at what point do you go there? You said, you know, on those high fire danger days. So are you saying to go to those even if there's not a fire that's actively burning? That's correct. So another aspect of what we're doing in preparedness is ensuring people across the state have bushfire survival plans in place for the fire danger season that we're in now. Mm -hmm. So in this bushfire survival plan, also known as the five-minute plan, you will detail what you do, what actions you take on certain days, of fire danger, so it might be when we have a day of extreme or catastrophic fire danger that you're going to head to one of these bushfire safer places and the reason you go there is maybe because your friend lives there and they've got a house there you can go to or there's a cinema there or a shopping centre there that you can go to and stay in for the day. Yes. And the theory is that you go there on a day of heightened danger before a fire actually occurs because we just don't know when and where a fire is going to occur and if you live in an area where a fire occurs, it's often too late to actually leave the area often. Mm. So it's best to be prepared, plan ahead, etc. You uh, took to the media, the, the CFS and the government and the police took to the media last week to talk about fire bugs and that there's around 100 that you'll be keeping an eye on this, uh, this fire season and over the summer period. Uh, how are you keeping an eye on them? Yeah, so a lot of that is through the Operation Nomad that SAPOL mm. runs. So they have obviously various tactics and they've got a whole team that monitor people who are known arsonists or potential arsonists. So that's very much a SAPOL thing. And they'll keep track of people. They'll with extensive patrols in bushfire prone areas on days of heightened fire danger. Mm. So we uh, very rarely that relationship with SAPOL who look after that aspect of the business for us. Phil, you're in charge of strategy and compliance there at the CFS. What are the biggest concerns for the CFS for this bushfire season? Oh, look, there's a, there's a number of concerns. Um, uh, I'd like to touch on, basically, if people prepare their own properties, n- number one, it, it actually assists in the firefighting tactics. Mm-hmm. So if we pull into a street, obviously we don't have enough appliances to put at every house. So, uh, unfortunately, the volunteers have to triage a little bit. Yeah. And if, if a property is actually done some work and, and the appliances can get in and out without any problems, they've, they've got a defensive zone around the house, then it's more likely to survive. 
what we don't want to do is actually put our volunteers into a position where um, they're, they're going to fight a losing battle and put themselves at severe risk um, to defend an undefendable property. So the more people have done to prepare their own property to clean up, uh, create a defensive zone around their properties, um, the more likely that um, the CFS truck is going to come in and actually assist them. So what does that actually look like? Because I guess in the CFS eyes, you've got an idea of what a clean, ready property looks like to, compared to maybe what a homeowner thinks that that is. So can you spell it out? What would What's the ideal property that you rock up to? What is a ready fire retardant property look like? Okay, I'd like to say concrete for 50 metres, but yeah. <laughs> in, in reality, that's not going to happen. But um, look, if, if properties have got a reduced fuel load up and around the house, now, um, native veg regulations actually allow property owners to clear 20 metres around their property, mm. uh, their, their homes, and 10 metres around their sheds. Now, if the, the house is actually higher in elevation to a lot of the vegetation, um, a fire is actually going to travel up that slope a lot quicker and a lot harder. Um, so they can actually apply to have the 20 metres extended as well. So if people have actually gone through and modified the vegetation immediately around the house for the, for the 20 metres, we'll say initially, yeah, uh, and then they have thinned out some of the elevated fuels, um, and what I mean by elevated fuels is they're the bushes and the shrubs, etc., leaving the larger trees. Uh, then the likelihood of the fire actually impacting the property is reduced. There will still be a, a lot of sparks and embers and, and debris and stuff coming towards the house, but, but it's defendable. Um, along with that, the entry into the property, if it's not overgrown, if the trucks can come and go without uh, having any impact from the fire on them, that also makes it a lot easier for, for the appliances and volunteers to actually get in there and fight the fire. A bit of water storage on the property. Um, so under the planning and development processes that are in place, there, there may be requirements for set amounts of, of, of water. Mm -hmm. But if there are water tanks on the property that are clearly labelled for firefighting purposes, um, we can hook up and we can uh, basically undertake the firefighting duties as required and, and do as much as we can to save that property. We're going to take a very short break, but if you'd like to ask either gentleman about a fire season question or how to prepare your house, now's the time to give them a call, 8223 You're listening to Adelaide's 5AA. Did you know that the Reject Shop has your grocery essentials at Australia's cheapest prices, including 500 gram Beyond the Assorted Pasta, only 50 cents each? For the cheapest snacks and groceries, it's got to be the Reject Shop, where we guarantee cheapest prices every day. You know us for our bright blue vans. Metropolitan Plumbing, Electrical and Air Conditioning. We are the proud winners of the Product Review Award for Plumbing in Australia for 2020 and 21. Did you know we offer $0 deposit interest-free payment plans, have no extra charge for after hours and can also often be at your door within the hour? Metropolitan Plumbing, Electrical and Air Conditioning. Available 24-7. This holiday season, the Caridis Retirement Villages community are again supporting Food Bank with a food drive to reduce hunger in South Australia. As part of the food drive, the Caridis Retirement Villages have eight food collection points at each village's community centre and also our head office in Angus Street. Last year, Caridis as a whole collected a food donation weight of 235 kilograms, which provides 480 meals in th to those in need in our community. Food Bank is a not-for-profit, non-denominational 
non-denominational federated organisation that provides essential food and grocery relief to more than one million Australians. Community, quality living locations. It starts with Karidi's retirement villages where you can join a family-friendly community which supports local South Australian communities and organisations. Visit karidi'sretirementvillages.com.au to learn more about Karidi's community quality living. The fruit jog shops are popping up at Westfield Marion, TTP and Westlakes. With a huge range of stocking fillers and gift boxes, there's something delicious for everyone. Pop into the fruit jog shop, Glind, McLaren Vale, Handorf, online and coming soon to Murray Street, Tanunda. Get a new Nissan Navara STX Dual Cab 4x4 manual from only 54790 drive away for ABN buyers and get a genuine Nissan tow bar. Test drive the new Nissan Navara today. Apply. Imagine becoming a multi-millionaire next week. That could be you with the St. John Lottery. Get your tickets before midnight Sunday and you could win the $4 million grand prize package, including the $3.3 million home in Walkerville, two Porsches and a quarter million cash. Plus, stay in the draw for more than 30,000 other prizes. Don't miss out. Get your tickets at stjohnlottery.com.au before this Sunday. You could be Adelaide's next multi-millionaire. Licence number M14082. Leon here. It's time to reset how we do energy. My friends at Zen Energy want you to know government rebates are changing, so solar prices are about to increase. But it's not too late. Now's the time to secure your solar system at 2021 prices with Zen Energy. They're a trusted supplier that's installed 35,000 systems. Tell Zen Leon sent you for a special offer. Let's reduce our carbon footprint and power bills with solar. Visit zenenergy.com.au. That's zenenergy.com.au. Hi, Bronte Manual from Toop and Toop. It's holiday season, but now's not the time to sit back if you're thinking of selling your home. Adelaide prices continue to hit record highs. The opportunity to maximise the value of your home has rarely been stronger. Buyers aren't spending their break just eating turkey. They're proactively trying to secure their next property and quickly. We've been helping Adelaide buyers and sellers for almost 40 years. So if you'd like to know how much your home might be worth in this current hot market, Go to toop.com.au. Scrape your caravan, Walker Crash Repairs, an RAA-approved caravan crash repairer. This is Jade Robran. There we go. There's a good Aussie band that made it into the top 200, Ice House. I've got uh, a COVID-19 update here. There have been four new cases of COVID-19 reported today. Today's cases are two men aged in their 20s and 60s and two women aged in their 30s and 50s. A case who was previously classified as unlinked and spent time in the Port Nolunga region has been identified as a false positive. There is no risk to the public and this case has been removed from our numbers and the case reported yesterday as being under investigation has been classified as an interstate acquired. So just repeating that, four new cases today uh, two men aged in their 20s and 60s and two women aged in their 30s and 50s. Right, We are talking uh, bushfire season, it's just around the corner so we're joined by two gentlemen from the CFS. We're talking to Joel Taggart who is the Acting Director of preparedness at CFS and also Phil McDonough who is the strategy and compliance officer there at the CFS. Uh, gentlemen, I've got a text message here from Steve. Wetting, does wetting the walls outside of your house with water, with the garden hose, would that help to stop a fire from it burning down? So what that'll do, um, it, it'll help trap the embers. Uh, basically the, the wet wall will 
extinguish the ember as soon as it hits. So if you've got an exposed timber wall, that's really great, um, but be prepared that any of that water that hits as the radiant heat gets towards it, it's going to turn it into steam. Uh, so it won't last very long. Uh, you're better off to make sure that all of your openings uh, around are sealed, and, and you can do that in many different ways. Uh, for example, you've got breather gaps in brick walls and the like. If you fill them with uh, stainless steel mesh, uh, like uh, fly screens, but it needs to be the, the steel, not the, not the nylon, because that will just melt, mm. um, that'll prevent the embers from actually getting inside and lodging on the timber frames or uh, other materials that may be inside the wall. Uh, build up leaves, etc., that have blown in uh, and igniting. And, and generally, a house will burn down, not, not from the immediate fire impacting, but in, in the hours post the fire actually coming through because sparks and embers will lodge somewhere if and you, then they'll take hold. If you have a question for either Joel or Phil from the CFS, now's the time to call in, 8223-0000. And uh, David has called in to ask you a question. Phil, uh, David, go ahead. I and I won't be one taking the position if I stood my ground in 83 against Ash Wednesday and if I had to do it again, I would question whether I would because until you've stood in the way of that fundamental force, until you've had embers hitting you like bullets, mm. until you've seen the paint in front of the fire on your, on your firefighting vehicle start to bubble, you truly do not understand just how mighty a fire is. So if you're in doubt, if you think your property is in any way even doubtful, please walk away. Properties can be rebuilt. The land will be there. But if you're incinerated in your car or other places, your game's over. So don't be afraid to walk away and walk early. Yeah, you're very correct in in what you say. Uh, uh, a bushfire is very intense. It has um, a very high radiant heat level uh, and you need to put distance between you, your physical self, and the radiant heat that's coming off a bushfire, including sparks and embers. David, so, um, sorry. That's all right. Uh, no, I was and just, just going to ask, David, where were you on that day? I have a family farming property and like things you saw like, Fire forms these really interesting cyclone-like eddies and watching these things crash across your backyard, witnessing them, you know, you're here pouring water on it at massive levels and you may as well be using a water gun when you're firing hundreds of litres at it and it's just here laughing at you. It is, unless you've been there, you really can't understand just how incredibly primal the force is on those days. Now, there are days where fires can be stopped. They can be contained, and we should prepare our property. But on those rare days, please walk away. Like, it's just down from my place is Cox's Scrub, mm. and that for, well, I went through there shortly after, it literally vaporised full-grown trees, and you'd see the stumps, like somebody went across there with some kind of saw a foot off the ground, vaporise the tops of trees all together. It's just, yeah, incredible. Like, yeah, I'm sure people are listening to me going, the guy's mad, he's imagining it. Believe me, it happened. This fire, as with previous ones, if it's that day, please consider whether you're defendable 
and consider whether you have the fortitude or personality to stand there and watch this thing run you over. David, that's a really, really powerful phone call. Thank you so much for calling in, and we certainly don't think you're you're mad at all. Like that, that doesn't get any more passionate than someone that stood there fighting that. Really, I mean, that's that's great advice, isn't it, guys? It absolutely, is there? Um, yeah, that you need to make sure that you, know, you you look after yourself, and this is where your bushfire action plan uh, and bushfire survival plan actually comes into effect. Um, if you've planned what going to happen and you planned what you can and can't do um, and on those really bad days if you don't think you have the ability to do it then your plan should say that on these days I'll relocate. Well Joel I'd like to ask you what should be included in a bushfire survival plan or a five minute plan and and who should have one? Yeah so essentially everyone who either works or travels or plays within a bushfire prone area which is essentially anywhere in the state besides the core metropolitan area of Adelaide, everyone of those people do need a plan, um, and that plan needs to cover a lot, a lot of the topics we've talked about today. So mm. things like what you're going to do based on various triggers. So at the moment we have a few different fire danger ratings, such as catastrophic or extreme or severe, which are the three highest ones, and you need triggers on each of those days. And you need to work out when your plan's enacted. Is it going to be the day before or at 7pm on the night before or 8am in the morning of the day. Mm. So very clear triggers that make it easy for anyone in your house to read, whether it be your younger children or an elderly, elderly relative. Um, and essentially the plan will say where you go, what you take with you, or the plan might say, like in David's case, that you stay and defend the property. But like Phil said, you really have to make sure that you are mentally and physically prepared. So if you were going to stay and defend, your plan would detail who's going to stay with you, what communication you're going to have, what backup equipment you're going to have, what personal protective equipment will you wear, and um, making sure the property's prepared, obviously in terms of mowing the grass, pruning the bushes, clearing the gutters. So it's quite an elaborate plan, but it, it doesn't take too long to write if you know what you're doing through reading our website, and we encourage everyone to have one. Gentlemen, thanks so much for the fabulous advice. That is Joel Taggart there from the CFS and also Phil McDonough, Strategy and Compliance Officer at the CFS as well. Coming up after the break, Dr. Derek will join us. So if you've got any pet questions at all, now is the time to give us a call. 8223 0000.